0: and pledge a monthly contribution, even just $2 a month, would be a huge encouragement. Hi, and welcome to Mad Beef, the Australian Rollerblading Podcast. I'm Mikey Lynch, and in this episode, I talk to Frank Stoner about being a cool uncle of rollerblading podcasting, about street skating and creativity, why Australians shorten everything, Joe Atkinson's competition skating, and the sometimes awkward world of male friendship. Enjoy. All right, well, I'm chatting with Frank Stoner, who, how do I describe you? College professor, rollerblading intellectual, former... Were you ever a pro skater? Is that how you describe your past in skating? Not quite as such, but close, maybe. Former not quite as such pro. (laughs) Um, And uh, what else can we say? Now podcaster, too, eh? I saw that pop up on Blader Union. You you and Cody have started doing something?
1: Yeah, we're kicking it around. We'll see.
0: Yeah. Got to get it up on the... um, iTunes as well, man, so we can um, download it into our podcast apps.
1: It's Cody's podcast, so I'm just like the vice president of that enterprise. He's actually the one in charge.
0: No worries. Send all feedback to Cody. The yeah. P- the plan for that is, how's that how all come about? What, what's, his, what's his vision there, do you know?
1: Uh, Cody and I just, uh, we're good friends and we talk on the phone about once a month and uh, we usually have pretty good conversations, like an hour or two long. Yep, and he got the idea to just basically start recording them. Great!
0: It's really great seeing that just a whole bunch of new media popping up just in the last couple of years. Just new, you know, using this kind of format particularly, as well as video stuff. It's um, it's been good.
1: Yeah. Um. Well. Yeah. Uh. I definitely think so, and I think that um, the back to blading podcast that Law and Ben are doing is really fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, and there's a bunch more. Uh, the um, the True podcast is good. There's it's it's. I wonder if there's more people doing podcasts than skating anymore.
0: It's <laughs> a depressing thought, isn't it? But uh, I mean, look, it's in some ways. If there's more people doing podcasts, sharing their particular take than people squabbling on message boards and forums, that's probably a good thing.
1: I think that that's true. <laughs> Man, I would, you, I would you, totally agree with that. Yeah,
0: you sent through a bunch of. Um, uh, topics you'd like to cover but one of them uh grabbed my interest and i don't want us to run out of time for it just because it had related to you listening to some of my podcasts talking about my skating you're right uh it, it makes me think of the german expression where is the dog buried you'll have to tell us how that sounds in german uh, uh i just want to know where is the dog buried what does that mean and what are you thinking there
1: okay so um I'm happy to get right into this. Uh I, I would rather have had us maybe have a touch of a warm-up, if you don't mind. Yeah. Let me preface what I'm about to say with the following. <laughs> you you did a podcast where you spoke about um I think I think just sort of a where you're at kind of a, a podcast. Yeah. It was like you've been sort of I think it maybe if it was getting your mojo back or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And you said the following uh, about me, which was lovely. And I just actually want to read it back because I would say it directly to you. And I would say, and your quote was, if podcasts can be a way to get more people exposed to his kind of thinking and reflecting and personality, then I'm happy to be a conduit for that. And so I think that that's charming. And I also would say that right back to your face. So Thanks, we may man. we may just be patting each other on the back, but I think that you're doing a fantastic job, and I really like the, the approach that you have, and I really like uh, the accessibility of it. I was just on um, – I, I recorded a podcast that will be out tomorrow morning uh, with the Back to Blading guys, and unfortunately we ran out of time but uh, for the recording portion, but then we talked for probably a further half hour after we were done recording – um, and we talked at length about you and about how accessible you're helping things become. And I think that you and the Back to Blading guys have a similar kind of a, a cool uncle kind of uh, <laughs> sensibility. Sure. Where, you know, you're not quite somebody's stuffy dad telling everybody what's what. You're not telling people to take out the trash. You're not the guys who are like too cool for school. Um, you, you come across as reasonable, smart Accessible people. And I think that that's something that is tremendous for rollerblading right now.
0: Well, that's cool of you to say, man. Yeah, I I think one of the things that I feel like Law is trying to do as well, that the kindred spirit thing is. Listening to Brian's podcast, the Rocktown one, it does often feel like you're coming in to this lovely guys, but cool guys who have a scene, who have st- strong opinions and a high amount of skill. And that's exciting, but it's also kind of depressing because you do feel like you're listening in on the outside. Whereas, um, yeah. you know, Lawrence just posts himself just sl- sliding out of Royales over and over again and puts it up on video. And there's something... Because that's so many of us right so many of us out there uh, are okay that it's nice to have someone saying it's okay to be okay you know
1: yeah 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 and I think that I think that um, there's there's a real aspect to uh, a historical feature of rollerblading where that's really never been the case before now or at least before lately or even say recently yeah um, I think that if you go back to you know the 90s era it was kind of like you know, you you better do you better do true spin topsoil down the 20 stair rail or you better go find somebody else to hang out with. And, uh, you know, the, the sort of blade apocalypse that's happened where everybody left and all the companies left and all the institutional memory left, you know, uh, has caused us to be, I think, much more open and welcoming um, now than we were for sure 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, when when the zombie apocalypse comes, you do need kind of Sheriff Rick who can kind of kill a whole bunch of zombies and Shonda with a samurai sword. But you'd need the person who can just farm stuff too, right? And you know, you're happy yeah. to go. Look, we'll take anyone. Someone needs to like cook the dinner.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. a different kind of
0: vision of of who contributes what. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think that's yeah, that's a fantastic point. There was a great episode of The West Wing where they were talking about the world ending and the one guy says to the other guy like cuz the 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 women in the office are all saying how how uh, how sexy the uh the FedEx guy is and all the you know sort of politician guys are all kind of huffing and puffing about it saying yeah well you know who do you think is going to reinvent the telephone and stuff like that and then everybody leaves and the one guy says to the other do you really think you could reinvent the telephone and he's like shit i have no idea man <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I think that that's absolutely the spirit of it where, um, yeah, somebody has to cook the dinner. Somebody needs to true fish the kink rail, but also somebody needs to uh, say to the public that, like, we're friendly guys and we want you to come and skate with us.
0: Yeah, and, and having been in a lot of things, right, like, in, in, you know, as you know, I work in so church ministry and there's there's intuitive people who are, like, kind of unconsciously competent. They know how to do stuff but they're doing it intuitively and and they can't – they're not necessarily great teachers or coaches because they don't quite know how they do it and they end up saying things like, you just do this. And uh, yeah. it's like, well, you just do that. But, you know, and so similarly, I, I don't know if you heard the podcast where I was talking about a local skater here, very talented, and and he was sort of saying, oh, you just get in the right body position. <coughs> That's all it is. You just get in the right body position yeah. and it all works. And it's like – yeah, man, you do that, and it all works, but um, I get in the right body <laughs> position. I just hit my shins, you know, and yeah. and, uh, and so that's where, again, having people who, who, because they're not great, have to break it down a little, um, uh, a, a little more kind of piece by piece uh, can, can again be a help, and I think that's what Lawrence is very, very consciously doing, for example.
1: Yeah, but, but to, I don't want to let you weasel out of it. I think no, that no, you're no, doing the there. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you're doing a great job also, where I think that you come across as uh, exceedingly human uh, and and very, very approachable. Um, and, you know, I, I would also add that both you and Law are both super smart, awesome guys. So, you know, you both have the same sort of set of things going for you.
0: Cool. Well, thanks very much, man. I feel very warmed up. So hit me.
1: OK, so uh, the the German expression, um, where's the dog buried? Um well, I'll try to keep a, 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 a classical rhetoric lesson out of this, but it's it, it's a kind of a uh, – do you – in your studying and in, in your work, do you run across a lot of, um, like, rhetorical figures and that kind of thing? Yep. Okay. So there's a rhetorical figure called Parisia. Are you familiar with that? No. Okay. I mean there's, like, thousands. So, like, if yeah. you haven't heard of one, it's like you haven't heard of a specific kind of oak tree. It's really not a big deal. Um <clears throat> Spelled uh, the. What's that? How's it spelled? P a r r h e s i a, Parisia. Uh huh. Yep. And Parisia is, uh, it's it's a kind of a um, it's a kind of a truth-telling, um, uh, kind of rhetorical device where the idea is that you're giving somebody what well, I guess what what I would say or what Americans might say is like the straight dope. Yep. Like you're telling maybe a harsh truth to a good friend or something like that. Yep. It's in, in the in the lowbrow, it's kind of like getting somebody to come away with you and let them know that they haven't, you know, zipped up their fly on their trousers. Yep. Um where it's like, hey man, your fly's down. Uh but it's also meant to be discreet but sincere. Uh and isn't meant to be particularly you know, hurtful or something like, hey, no offense, but you're dumb, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> it's it's meant to be, it's meant to be more along the lines of, listen, man, I don't think that that girl's right for you, you know, kind of a, kind of a thing. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of different people who've written a lot about it. It has a lot of history in the, in the Christian tradition of, uh, Christian rhetorical theorists, basically, mm-hmm. yep. uh, because they imagine that that's what they're doing. And it, it causes a certain conundrum for the Christians because, if you're in the business of persuasion, then all you're ever doing is just telling the truth. You're not actually trying to work it in any particular way hmm. uh, to get them to see your point, um, because you're, you're you're only telling the truth. And so there's some question about whether, um, like like for instance, Christian ministry of whether it's rhetorical at all, because it's not really just persuading somebody to choose one brand over another. Yeah. In theory, if you believe in the truth then you're telling them the truth and there's really nothing to persuade them about it's the truth or it's or it's not yeah so anyway anyway sorry that's 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 a, a bit more background maybe than i wanted to give no nah, that's but cool anyway. though yeah the the uh german expression where's the dog buried uh, in german i think that there's there may be an actual expression for it but um in german i think most germans would say it like wo ist der hundegraben Which is almost word for word. Where is the hound buried? It's almost word for word. Um, I don't actually know off the top of my head if there's a a unique expression for it where it's uh, presented differently from that. But um, what what I I just went I just went so I was doing the podcast a few maybe a month or so maybe more ago with uh, Stephen Johns from Truespin. Yep. And I had had a whole bunch of uh, Pepsis to drink, and so I was awake for like way long after that than I wanted to be. And we recorded late at night. So anyway, I listened to all of your podcasts <laughs> after that, and a bunch of the times I feel like to use like an American football metaphor, I feel like you bring me right to the one yard line, and I want some extra thing that I'm not getting, and that "Where is the dog buried?" is a little bit a little bit of a kind of a and now what or like what's the actual like where what's the actual point because i think that you bring me to the like to the one yard line and then like there's something else that i'm wanting and so the two examples that i wanted to give you were the skating uh in school playgrounds that you did a couple of well i guess probably a month ago now yeah. maybe more um and i think that you've got a really good insight that's right there that's about like you know we look at architecture differently we look at landscape differently we look at all these things differently and then what and where's the dog buried like what's the last yard to get in the touchdown is kind of where i'm going with that does that yeah, what do you think
0: yeah, about yeah yeah okay so do do you do you know what that final play is or are you left going uh, mikey's seeing something i'm not seeing but he's not telling us or he hasn't followed the thought through enough so now neither of us know
1: I kind of think it's that. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm right on the precipice of being told something profound and then, uh, and then the, the, and then it ends. Huh.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, so what, what am I, what am I doing there? I, I think like what I would think I'm doing. So again, you, maybe you're like this, like in, in, at least in in certain brands of simplistic Christian preaching rhetoric, there's uh, or advice about the pragmatics of oratory, people say, what's your main point? Have your main point, your supporting points, and, and, and people who teach that kind of school of, of oratory end up saying, you, you should be able to finish your sermon, and someone can say, what was the main thing you were trying to say there, Frank? And you'd say, boom, it's this. Um, yeah. and, and then when I listen to the most compelling preachers, I'm left going, they have clarity, and there's clearly points and contributing points but in the end to to reduce it to a main point feels to me like it's um that's not like if that was the main point they would have said it in 3 minutes but they said it in 20 or 30 because part of the main point is you know the stuff in between the main points and it's almost like you know i can tell you my main point of a sermon on matthew chapter 1 is abc but also part of my main point is just there's a lot of amazing stuff in <laughs> in Matthew chapter 1 you know and that that's almost part of the impact um and so i suppose i'm i'm thinking like you know if the main point is something like uh the v- i guess similar to your point rollerblading is um uh you know you wrote an article about how it's um you know uh language is activity and 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 so on that there's something in the very act of going into a space and rollerblading you are you're speaking aren't you you're you're making the world um and uh um that you're doing something very powerful in doing that uh that this act of play and this act of sport is also um uh, what you're bringing to it as well is not just laying down a cool trick or getting exercise or whatever but you're also it's a kind of speech right it's a kind of you're making the world something like that yeah.
1: Now, absolutely. And I am the dearest friend of nuance that you're going to find on this planet. I think that nuance is absolutely king. And I also think that you're absolutely right about, uh, you know, it's overly simplistic to boil this thing down to something that I could have just said in in three minutes or whatever. Uh, You know, uh, the process is part of it. The storytelling is part of it. Uh, The way that you control emotions up and down through the course of making your points. Uh, the way that you use logic and reason, these are all things that have extraordinary value. Um, I guess... So I am I totally agree with you, and that's not what I'm trying to suggest uh, that you do. Um, give me the other example, I, maybe. Um, so, okay. So another example was uh, the podcast you did about thinking about bad skate parks as interesting skate spots. Right, yep. So... I was talking to my friend Kevin uh, a couple hours ago, and um, I was trying to I was trying to kind of get him to to think about your point, and I think that his his attitude was kind of what you just described, which we both just agreed, you know, we don't want, which is, you know, sometimes you just have to make yourself skate it. You know, you does you don't you don't want to skate it the way that it's set up, so you skate it differently and so on and so forth. Mm. And I think I think in, in that kind of a case, something that I'm looking for is um maybe maybe a, a principle or an idea that can be applied elsewhere. Something more like a universal principle, uh maybe along the lines of creativity. And I think that um thinking about it as an interesting skate spot. Is like one species of a whole family, where there's some larger, bigger umbrella kind of idea that would apply to spots beyond just a crappy skate park that you have to try to make interesting. Does that yeah, make sense?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, since there's several things there, isn't there? And I guess that's the that's the thing. You know, like I was I was thinking. You know, you mentioned that this was one of the things you wanted to chat about as a separate point in your Facebook message to me. And I was thinking a lot about, you know, you would have heard me just sort of trying to kind of capture what I thought champagne was about as a video and how it seems like, you know, of course that's just about a million kinked rails and negative grinds from Chris Farmer, but it's also Mm. about a string of weird spots, right? It's like, you know, what do you do with that? I bet you I can do this, you know. Um, and, And so what goes on with that kind of, you know, what is in a sense the essence of street skating, isn't it, is street skating is partly finding the massive kinked rail that, You know, and getting there when security's not there and whatever. But also, it's often finding just that thing that you go, man, that that's weird. You know, or that's in a cool spot. What what on earth are we going to do there? What's that one thing that's worth spending half an hour, an hour doing over and over again until you can nail this this thing? Um, And I guess that's. Do we get lazy when we're at street uh, at, at skate parks? Do we get lazy even when we're in a school because we think because it's a like a curated environment, it's, it's already packaged for us. We go, there's the bench, there's the ledge, there's the rail, there's the, there's the bank. Uh, and so we stop thinking the way you think when you're doing a street spot, which you go, no, 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 this is, this is more raw material. I need to kind of almost, um, uh, you know, have you heard the, the thing about the sculptor who goes, you know, how do you sculpt this beautiful statue? And he goes, I just chip away all the bits of stone that are not, the thing I'm sculpting, yeah. you know, it's a bit like that, isn't yeah. it? Going, what's the what's the sequence of tricks hidden <laughs> in this gravelly ass skate park? Um, yeah, that I need to chip away and find, and and I guess that's it, isn't it? That, that that it's like it's no longer just how can I session this skate park that should spoon feed me whatever I want to do, but it's instead what are the hidden lines here or the technical challenges and the you know the uh, what are the things hidden here that I need to almost unearth, isn't
1: it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, so, so, okay. So I think that that's, that's solving, I think a certain kind of creativity problem, right? Which is if you're at a place and you're sitting there and you're trying to think, you know, okay, well I can, I know how to do these certain tricks and this thing is on, let's say it's only skatable in one direction maybe. Uh, and so you think, okay, well, so that gets rid of half of what I had planned. Um, and And so what what I, what I guess I'm, I'm getting at is that there's there's been a lot in videos in the last say ten years, I would say, where there's been a lot more um really throw out the script kind of skating, yep. and I think that, that that number one includes the really far out kind of mushroom blading like where it's just really fun, you know like you you're watching people having great fun. Yep. And they're zooming around and they're doing leg kicks and they're doing all kinds of silly stuff, you know. And I think that that's part of – that's part of something that's changed. But I also think that the the filmmaking has changed also mm. where, you know, the, the concept of a buddy film exists now and it didn't before. And that's something that I would point to um, going back to the kind of accessibility stuff where – you and your friends go out and skate the box and put together an edit of y'all skating the box in the driveway. And then maybe you knock back a six pack of beer after the whole thing is over or maybe not, you know, I don't know, but fun, fun, I think is a dimension of rollerblading that has kind of come to the fore. And so I guess what, I guess what I'm saying is when, when you're, when you're trying to, you know, figure out the way that you could do tricks differently. Um, you know I think that thats that's right on the precipice of like an explosion of creativity that, that points, say in a direction where fun is now included, rather than figure out a way to do a left foot soul grind instead of a right foot soul grind. Yeah. And again, I don't want to be simplifying your point because I think that there was there's, there's a kernel there that I really just feel like I want I feel like just one more step and its a, and it's a blow the thing wide open kind of a deal. Yeah, it's good.
0: Thank you. I think you got to let that sit with me, man. I think that, I don't know if there's anything I can um anything more I can bring to that right now, but I I I appreciate that and that's that's cool in it in itself, I suppose. I mean, one of the, the inspirations, you know, you mentioned mushroom blading and obviously those guys are um uh interesting on me- it's cultural culture creators um pioneers and like you know, that kind of avant-garde in that that true sense of you know kind of ahead of the curve. I do yeah. wonder whether actually there's something about small towns and Canada, you know, just being right on the fringe of, um, like, they're not in L.A., are they? <laughs> do right. you know what I mean? Yeah, no. Like, the, uh, you know, a little bit like Seattle's a culture creator. It's not a huge city. It's, it's not right in the center of, you know, the United States, you know, um, east or, or west coast. Um, and, and yet it's been like this interesting cultural fringe or Manchester in the UK. It's like Canada is like that. And, and of all places, Kamloops, that by being on the outer a bit, that, you know, those guys have been able to uh, to see and push and get away without being censured, you know, that almost like, uh, I don't know. Anyway, th- th- that they I guess I was inspired by them because I feel like sometimes they would put up half a podcast with half a thought, clearly very yeah. lateral thinking guys, and I went, I like that. That just made me want to skate and skate differently. And so I'm imitating that. But, but just as I'm trying to maybe improve the production values from some of their podcasts just a little, so also I need to, yeah, you know, take that idea that they've kind of pitched, which is just here's half a thought, smoke this for a bit, way of thinking about skating um, uh, to actually go, yeah, but what is the other half of that thought and actually bring yeah. it into land? Yeah.
1: Well, so, so something, something that, that I feel that like when I go out and skate with people and even when I skate, um, like even whether I'm with people or not, um, I personally find that one of the great values for me in having rollerbladed this whole time is when I have maybe set my sights on some particular trick, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And maybe it's what I would call like a cusp trick. Like maybe it's just above my ability or maybe it's a trick that I could do really well a long time ago, but I haven't done it lately. And so it's going to take some falling down and some bruised ego and a lot of that. But I find that when I watch somebody really make a commitment to to doing something where they're going to fall down 20 times and then they finally in the end get it, there's this tremendous kind of moment of pride, I guess. Or moment of accomplishment might be a better way to put it, where I set out to do something and it took me a half hour and I fell twenty times on my back, you know, not even getting close, and then finally, finally, finally did it. Um, what that says to me is like we watch these video sections where, you know, you get the odd fall where you you're like in the middle of the edit you weren't expecting, and it, it sort of helps show or build the risk. Yep. You know, to show that, wow, you know, he actually went back and pulled that off or, or you know, whatever. Um, but I, I, it's almost like I would, I would sit there and watch one of these sort of like great moments in sports history, uh, you know, BBC kind of things where somebody just by force of will, uh, you know, committed to something and saw it through and got it done. And there's this great like release of tension in the shoulders that you see in, in a person. And then they like walk up the stairs and high five the guy who filmed it or whatever, and and it's all good or whatever. But I think that there's like there's like a really spiritual human moment occurring right there. Yeah. And so, like, I think that what what the way that I feel about that and the way that you feel about um, having this insight about skating school playgrounds or skating sc- uh, seeing a schoolyard as a play kind of playground or imagining a bad skate park as an interesting street spot, I feel like all three of these things are kind of one level down from a transcending idea that that would really hit it out of the park. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not necessarily asking or putting the burden solely on you. Uh, maybe some of your listeners, maybe me, maybe you, maybe we could talk about it some more. Yeah. But I feel like there's one... Like a superordinate idea that covers those things that uh, would 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 maybe like make into a make a principle of it or make universal an understanding some kind of umbrella idea that that would help us solve more problems than just these three. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's let's look for it, shall we? Let's see if we can find it. Yeah, well, uh, set out set out the dogs. We'll see if we can hunt it down.
0: Yeah, man. It's um it is weird isn't it when you go like it's um uh, you know, like street sports are you know, we have these skate parks or these ramps that are custom built. But we're we're not surfing in that way. Do you know what I mean? Like we're kind of like surfing is very much interacting directly with a, a natural environment you know um or even you can say like other water sports a lot even if you're getting being pulled by a motorboat like there's there's only so much wake you can create maybe you can add in some some jumps so i guess that's slightly different you know Um, but uh but street sports you know like there's they there's something unique to them isn't there because they are um uh you can build custom spaces for them but they're also about you know about confronting you know their their it's something in them, in the ideal of them, is um, is just making do. Is an improvis- improvisation, isn't there? And there's a um, a reactivity and a, uh, all this kind of stuff. That's that's a whole different thing again. That um, you don't. I mean, you get great things by looking at uh, whatever X Games and feasts and um, all that kind of stuff. But there's something pretty unique you get um, in just your local crappy skate park or your street skating that that is unique that we and BMX and scooter and and skateboarding and parkour um have in common you know yeah mm. yeah we'll keep thinking about that one
1: yeah, uh, let's let's do let's do. Yeah, I'll yeah. think some more on it, and let's have you think some more on it because I think we can get there. I think that we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And look, I mean, in my little intro to you again, we need to keep pointing people back to the stuff that you're writing for, um, you know, BMag and 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 one mag from time to time because that's part of what you're doing, in some of that stuff too, right? Is trying to draw together. So recently, you had one about the, um, you know, uh, as an you know an overarching idea or rubric for um, for style was, um, you know, if if the uh, if the body posture in a in a grind works, once you kind of remove the head, does it work going forward or backwards? Um, that's a kind of cap- a version of that, isn't it? If, like, what's a rubric for capturing this very fuzzy thing called style? And you're not yeah. say- you're not saying it's not possible to do a stylish trick that may break this rule, but you're just saying this is a pretty helpful general one, right? Is that um, you know if you want to look out for a generic sense of style for grinding, then a posture that will work. You know, uh, as well, backslide or talk. Once you remove the head, yeah. you, you can't tell which way the person's going. Is is an example of that kind of thing, right? Where you're looking for this, this an overarching thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's that's kind of my kind of my mo is to sort of spend my time and spend my thinking pursuing those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but on on that, I think that I'll I'll admit to 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 you and to your listeners a bias, right? Where That is motivated by um, a pet peeve of mine, which is like a a Royale or a Nugent or Farvanugent or what some people call full torque, where they're done very, very differently. And I think that a lot of people do, for instance, Nugent's where, um, you know, the – the front leg is kind of doing its best to get on boot and do what it's supposed to do and sort of do its assignment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then the back leg gets this like really gnarly, exaggerated, knee brought down, super low, you know, kind of a thing where if you rewound the tape and played it backwards, it would look like a really crappy Royale.
0: Yeah, almost like those um, those very, very early Royales that the, the front Nugent foot is cocked up in this kind of slightly jerked hip thing, and then the back leg is stretched out. That's a little bit yeah. like those very early Royales looked, except the other way around, right? Front leg hooked yeah. up really tight, and then the, the, the leading leg just stuck out in front, almost
1: straight in this weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there's obvious things about, you know, people doing Royale or people doing uh, uh, Farfanugan and not getting boot, and it's like, well, if you didn't get boot, you didn't really do it. I hate to tell you, but, mm. you know... Whatever. Um, but I think that for like for instance, um one thing that I think that you get a lot um with uh, a farfanugan in particular is where if you're doing a frontside farfanugan and you're kind of leading with your toe where it's like just just a couple degrees shy of a sweat stance. Yeah. You know, like yep. if you were royaleing that way, it would look like you're trying to do a kind grind but didn't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, I guess I guess when you see a really well balanced trick where the body has a certain symmetry, the feet have a certain symmetry, there's a kind of a grace uh, and a kind of an ideal form uh, that I think that we're seeing. Where in a lot of cases, um, if you covered up the head, it wouldn't be totally clear which way the person was going. Particularly on a rail like the one that I posted of that guy, um, uh, Falcon Gott, uh, doing that front torque, where a lot of people looked at that and said, well, he's way off balance. He's clearly doing a backslide up the rail. And I'm saying, yeah, but if that were a front torque, that would be an amazing front torque. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that was kind of my motivation, but I also think that it is – at the same time, like the reason that I can sleep at night is to say that I'm not just trying to clown somebody who doesn't, who's learning how to royale or who's learning how to farfanugan I'm trying to go up one level, one superordinate level, uh, and 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 make a general principle that's accessible. And then I also have a second sort of ulterior motive, which is to slowly write articles that build a profile for a fairly objective way of assessing the style of a whole trick yeah because I wrote an article a long long time ago about the jump on uh, and you basically can tell how well that person's brain did motor planning like your friend was saying uh, you you just um, you just get your body in the right position and you just do it yep. you know um, and so when someone is really talented they what you'll see is that there's a moment just before their feet hook onto the rail, or to the coping, or to the ledge, where their feet are actually already in the right position, and it's as if they've lowered their feet down, as if by a crane, in the right position, and they locked on and started their grind without having to make any adjustment.
0: Yeah, 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 whereas if that's, that, that's the final cocking the ankle sideways to get the, the sole plate fully on, that kind of thing that is, you know... Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. exactly. Now, exactly. let me ask you about this, and I don't want to trash talk or, or whatever, but... um, uh, Joe Atkinson in competitions is a whole other beast. Like, I, I, what's going on with that? Because I mean, he is an amazing skater, but I feel like part of what, for whatever reason, is giving him. I, I often watch runs, as, as I think you heard me saying. One of the ones where I go, if I, I, I'm looking at Takeshi Yasutoko, and I'm going, that's a better run. But there's something wild and almost like he's about to fall off sideways, and the arms are going everywhere, and the there's uh-huh. ungrabbed airs, and uh, that there's that too, right? That that's a different kind of thing again, where you're going. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure if I can capture what judges seem to see and love in Joe easily in a way that would capture the the neatest, cleanest run by you know cj or Takeshi or or something there's something else
1: yeah (laughs) going
0: on again there which is weird i don't know do you know what i mean
1: yeah i do and i think that i think that one of the things you know when the when the judges tell you you know i think that a good judge uh would actually have like a meeting with the skaters before a contest and say what are you actually being judged on yeah um there's famous famous examples of Um, bad judging systems where you are literally counting tricks, Mm -hmm. you know? So whoever did 10 obviously did better than whoever did eight tricks, you know? And I think one of the things as I've been a judge for a long time and, and, uh, in a lot of different, uh, contests and events and things. And, uh, one of the things that I honestly have a hard time not having a bias against is bad character where you see people cutting in line, snaking people, being a jackass, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And you know, it kind of poisons me against somebody. Even if their skating is objectively better, I'm still judging that that per, that skater's merits on you know, are you just being a jackass? Like, well, I don't really want to give first place to the guy who's just a jackass, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that in the same vein of what you're talking about with Joe, I think that when things are too clean, um it almost feels robotic and like there's no heart. And so when you see a guy, you know, doing a frontside down a long handicap rail uh, and he's waving his arm, you know, and you just just want to fight. You just want to fight for him. Come on, man, you got it, you got it. He's kind of humping the air a bit to get the hips in balance. And- yeah, swinging, yeah, swinging the waist back and forth like that. Yeah. I feel like that's that kind of underdog spirit where, you know, we, we want to root for the guy. Who really pulled it out, you know, and this is what I was saying before, like, yeah, yeah. I can't do hurricane top mistrial first try, but I might, you know, be two beers in and decide, all right, you know what, I'm going to do it. And, it and that's where it's funny, isn't like even, even a competition, the second or the
0: third run has that, doesn't it? You know, you, you went for that, you missed it, you didn't do it the second time, so your second run could be clean, and then in the third run, which wasn't perfect, you nailed that, whatever it was that you tried. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I think that we have we have a lot of uh, a lot of bias towards the sort of narrative or the storytelling of, you know, uh, really wanting to cheer for an underdog, you know. And so I think that I think that his his skating shows uh, a kind of a, an effort mm. and, and, and it helps communicate a difficulty, whereas, uh, you know, you look at Takeshi or somebody doing like a, a flat spin on the quarter pipe and it's like. Well, he did that like he was having his cereal for breakfast, you know. Yeah. Whereas somebody who just barely pulled it out, you know, they land with their leg dragging, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where you just you really want to cheer for it. And and, and I, don't, I don't know, I don't know who's judging the FICE contest nowadays, but uh that that to me sounds like something that I'm familiar with. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah, kind of cool. That kind of grit, you know what I mean
0: and that 's the thing that um you know i do i do think still is there in those um in in like watching those feast competitions compared to watching snowboarding at the Olympics again, I think that was in a podcast before that i 've done that you know amazing, but in a sense that has just it has totally sunk down to just difficulty and amplitude and style means basically just cork spins as high as you can yeah and that's yeah it, and basically I- and it 's just how high, how many rotations, and, and that's just nowhere near as fun as watching a flip and a grind and an invert and a, oh, did he just do that? And, and you know, that, yeah, that it's nice that that still seems to be there, you know, but not in the Olympic level but elsewhere. Uh, there's yeah. still a, uh, oh, right, he did that kind of weird parallel stall and it was just high. It, it, that was it, you know, and then he did whatever, you know, Takeshi did some sort of goofy sort of um, wheelbarrow grind or something, you know, that kind of stuff where you're just going like that's, yeah, that's that wouldn't be in the um, the Olympic judging world of of mere uh, mere uh, prerequisites sort of thing or time. Yeah, to catch. yeah.
1: I think that, that that kind of a comment, and I really appreciated hearing that one when I when I heard it. Uh, the one you, where you were talking about. Um, I think you were talking. You have a daughter, is that right? Yeah. And you were talking about her where. You were saying uh, I can't remember what you were saying, but I don't know. Anyway, that was the same podcast I'm pretty sure mm. uh, of, of yours, and 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 I really liked I really liked the, the the just the sheer honesty of it, where it's like, yeah, well, I don't really care if it's a twelve sixty or a fourteen forty. After you reach some point, I just don't care anymore. It looks robotic. It's uninteresting. It's it's. I mean, I hate to say it, but like boring. Mm. <laughs> it's depressing to say that, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that it's really valuable for you to just come out and say so because I think that there's there's too many people who are going to be too sort of um, uh, what's the word um, like uh, um, like starstruck mm. by how much money, how big of an event, you know, how nice the the cameras are, like how good the production is. It's like too many people are starstruck to actually say, "Ah, uh, that's not all that cool." To be to be honest with you, because there's only only
0: because- so many OK computers or Sergeant Peppers that get released before you suddenly even those great bands go go back to basics, right? And do the acoustic yeah. do the acoustic, do the white album, you know, whatever. Do um, yeah, you know, so go back and say, Yeah, we can do that, you know, with twelve twelve track and cut up and backwards tape and whatever else and whatever, but sometimes we just want just want to jam. And um mm-hmm. yeah, both. There's both. Place for both.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: What should we do, man? We've got you've got a comment here. Bible translation, blading canon of tricks, um uh what else we got? folk theories on why Aussies use diminutives. Um Let's t- let's talk about
1: that one. Can we take that one? Yeah. I heard someone say so I listened to an Australian podcast. There's two guys, I don't know, do you call them blokes? Two blokes from Adelaide. Yeah. And these are like regular guys, they're none of them they're not celebrities, they're just regular dudes. And they talk about really charming stuff, a lot of 80s throwback stuff. They're probably our age, maybe a little bit older than us. Um but one of them said Exy for expensive, like, yeah, yeah. For expensive, and it, like, like <laughs> the mind, my mind boggled. Like I, uh, like, and, and I started looking into it, and um, uh, found out that the the Australians use diminutives massively more than other English dialects, to the tune of something like more than five thousand identified diminutives that y'all use in your regular speech. Now, a lot of people who are just kind of, uh, you know, secondary school educated only have a vocabulary of around 10,000 words. Yeah. So that's like half. (laughs) Yeah. And we have this weird
0: thing where we will often – the Australian will even uh, speak about an abbreviation which makes something uh, the same number of syllables or maybe even longer as an abbreviation. So we'll oh, yeah. think of it like – so Frankie, the, conceptually to an Australian, uh, that's actually kind of an, ab- an abbreviation, um, even though we've actually added a syllable to your name, um, that kind of thing. It's, it's, a, it's a strange, th- strange thing. I, I, look, I, uh, it's, it's, it's got to go back to, I assume, in part to the fact that you've got a country that's founded as a penal colony. I mean, it's got to come you know to some extent, I assume – back to those kind of roots that there's a there's an informality built into a whole kind of linguistic and cultural ethos where everything needs to be um uh shrunk reduced informalized um uh there's a really inter- back at uni I when I, was, I French was one of my majors and and we we did a an unit on on linguistic pragmatics and there was a um an Australian academic called Anna Wearsbicker, who um, who did a whole bunch of stuff trying to break down you know semantic primitives, this kind of stuff. And, and she was um okay. uh and, and analyzed the the Aussie use of bastard and how when I say you're a bastard, Frank, that's a very strong you know, I've taken this word that means someone born without, you know, married parents, and now this yeah. is very strong, derisive. What a bastard That was a bastard move. That's a very strong, um, okay. shameful kind of, you know, uh, word. But if uh-huh. I had poor in front of it, and you're a poor bastard, then suddenly uh-huh. that is a deeply empathetic <laughs> um, uh, comment. You know, oh, what a poor bastard! That that means like, oh, you know, and and it was. So there's this strange, strange thing going on in the way Aussies think about framing, framing words, where we'll spin something that's vile to something that's um, that's really like so. So poor bastard isn't just pity. There's there's compassion and there's fondness yeah. woven into it as well. So it's not just you are wretched and pathetic, poor thing, but it's you're wretched and pathetic, and and I I care for you. And <laughs> Uh, you right. know, yeah so it's it's a strange strange part of the way we we think and talk that's that's for sure
1: um yeah. i mean as as a folk as a folk theory i think that having having the kind of history as a penal colony i think that that's that's kind of one of those things where um it, it, it's really easy to make a folk theory out of that you mm-hmm. know yeah. and i think that you could probably point to a lot uh like my my impulse there would be to say if you've got uh, a country with a reputation for being England's penal colony or South Africa's penal colony, I don't know which, um, then that to me suggests a need for people to show an additional friendliness. Mm. Like, you know, look, I got I got caught, like, you know, not doing my taxes right. Like, sorry, you know, but like, I'm not going to hurt you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you're trying to, like, demonstrate that you're not a threat. Yep. And so you use a lot of, of diminutives. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean again, it may also because there's origins up, like as well. I not studied anything to be able to say one way or another whether that's the case. It's just given that background. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, you I mean a way you could know, test
0: it would be in part – I mean Adelaide I think is one of the few places that, um, uh, that wasn't founded originally with a, um, uh, with a penal colony purpose. So it would be interesting to compare whether uh, demonstrably South Australian expressions have less of that. Okay. Okay. Than Tasmanian or Victorian or or Perthian, so that that'd be an interesting kind of that that would be a way that perhaps you could test that. I mean, another thing could be because Ireland and Scotland have variations, you know, where they you know they we meaning small before, you know, that'll that'll pop up unnecessarily all the time, right? Um, yeah, like a wee
1: lad or something. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, just I'm gonna have a wee drink, a wee chat with Frank, even though I know it's going to go for an hour or more. Yeah. You know, so there's there's a diminutive mindset there that's got nothing to do with actual length at all, but it's about a um, uh, a shrinking and a downplaying or something. So so it could well actually have its origin in uh, in in broader English speaking um, uh, England and surrounding countries, possibly.
1: Yeah, I, I like it. I like mm. it. I just think it's fun just because so many of them uh, come across as really charming and endearing to me. Yeah. There's a couple of
0: interesting ones that back historically, you know, that kind of connect with that uh, part of the Australian rollerblading vocab where um, the, uh, uh, the Royale still by some will be called a shifty here. Um, yeah. Now, I like Royale so much. Partly, I think, because of the pop fiction dialogue, Royale with cheese. Um, yeah. But yeah, shifty is the, the, the Aussie expression. And um, and at least at one point, I remember seeing in some old Daily Bread that um, they used to call a um, uh, you know a, a natural trick a, a habitual or bitch trick. <laughs> and uh, yeah. an unnatural trick, a non-habitual or no-bitch trick. And I don't think that one survived at all in an Australian role. Is that Body. what that meant? Mm, I
1: think so. Oh my god, that was in some of the T Bone movies early on. Yeah, right. They would do like a a bitch and a no bitch section. Wow, I, I'm see. Okay, I think that this is all really good, and all these podcasts are fantastic. One of the things that I was talking to uh, to to back to blading about the other night was about a need to preserve the history. Yeah, uh, and to hear some of these stories because my argument is that. We don't need a reason uh, to to preserve the history because um, we don't know what problems we're going to have in the future. So if we keep everything around, you know, like like hoarders, uh, then the the thing will be accessible regardless of what problem it is that we're trying to solve. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> so what what I'm getting at is I'm I'm really happy to have heard that because. I watched the T Bone videos for I don't know how many years and you know I I never understood what that meant. And now like now now that's one little node, one little connection yeah. where I've got a shared context that I never had before. How about that, man? Well, that's, that's great. There you go. My gift to you. <laughs> that's brilliant that is that is brilliant I'll tell you but another you must, one and this is a funny one that I was going to do a separate
0: podcast on but um, you know it was only when I came back to blading that um, uh, that I joined the dots about soul being a pun on S-O-L-E the base of your foot because I, I learned that through reading I learned it through Daily Bread 1 and 2 um, that's how I learned what that trick was called first um, and so because I saw it And because it was spelled S-O-U-L as in like, you know, the internal, you know, spirit of a person, Um, you know, a bit like a homeschooler who has a massive vocabulary but has never heard certain words said and so might pronounce them all wrong. In the same way, I just never thought the pun because... You know, I, uh, I I just saw it as S O U L, so I assumed all the other tricks, you know, seemed to have no logic to their naming. I don't know. They didn't mean anything, so I didn't even think to look for a meaning, you know, that S O U L soul grind made as much sense as Smith grind, which it was also called early on, or Mies or whatever, you know, it just was whatever. And so it was only coming back seeing the soul plate as a thing. And I think maybe even the first few times I thought that, I went, yeah. Because it's the plate that you do the S O U L soul, soul grows on. You know, it took a yeah, while yeah. Um, before the penny dropped and went, "Oh crap! Of course, I, I'm an idiot. Of course, of course, it's you know." And so, th- there's another weird example of of those kinds of things you don't you know think to you know. My son is really into, my sons both are really into the soccer, the football, and um, you know they they call that you know the studs on the plate of a football booter. A sole plate as well, but s o oh, really? s o l e of course rather than you know s o u l so yeah anyway so, that 's another strange version of that where you could actually skate for years doing sole grinds for years and never even realize
1: that it 's a grind on the sole of your foot right, right, but I think that it it's it 's become that though where it is the soul of rollerblading, where mm-hmm. in my mind, that's a perfect, well-motivated, linguistically well-motivated name for that trick, because... Accidentally genius. First, yeah. Yeah, and it's the first trick that's ours. Yeah. You know, it's not a 50-50, it's not a skateboard trick, it's not a bike trick.
0: You and can't it's, do And it's that. the
1: door to the vast complexity of what we can do, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I think it is that kind of accidental genius, but I think that names that stick well and are well-motivated tend to appear that way. Uh, so uh, – and and one of the reasons that I would point to that is that I think in New York City and in a lot of other places both around the U.S. and around the world, um, there were a lot of people calling it a Smith grind. But funny how that didn't stick mm-hmm. and soul did stick.
0: Was there one that was a soulless as well? Was that one that was played with at one point that didn't stick? Mm. Mm. What was that?
1: So the um the um it, it's it's it, I actually got that straight from the horse's mouth. That was Jason Marshall in VG four, doing the first ever Alope Topside Soul, which in the magazine, the little booklet that came with the VHS tape um of VG four, called it a blind two seventy Aloops. Uh, alley-oop. uh, just alley oop, wasn't it? Yeah, just alley oop. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Dave Payne came up with that whole mouthful because he thought that it was better than what Jason Marshall wanted to name the trick, which was going to be soulless because he thought it's like the upside down and backwards version of having a soul, so that must be the perfect opposite of having a soul. And he reasoned. Uh, that that the opposite of having a soul would be being soulless. Yeah. So that was that was his thought process, and I actually got to talk to him about it. And so I think <laughs> that that's another one of these really neat stories. Yeah. That you know, if you if you hadn't heard him tell you, and you hadn't heard me tell you that he told me, then you've probably never heard that before. Yeah, uh, that's cool. And it's weird, isn't it? There is something about like
0: you know, schematizing tricks makes sense, but there is something. A, a refusal to do that right because, you know, uh, soulless does sound cool and, you know, in some ways you could bring that back as a concept to capture what the negative is, but we never then call a positive grind a positive grind. It's just a regular soul. Right. There's, there's something about we don't, they don't, things don't fit neatly, do they, into um, some things stick because they're useful and some don't.
1: Well, I think that that's always the case, though, yeah. that, that uh, you know, uh, rollerbladers invent language based on our need where... The whole point of that article and the whole thing about the gods of rollerblading are dead and so on and so forth is the idea that, like, there's no longer going to be a scheme that's going to be able to keep up with all of this stuff. Yeah. Right? The things that cause order are dead because we've just seen someone do something that has just blown everything clean out of the water where, you know, at that time they're trying to come up with a way to name that trick. And they weren't even aware that, like, what's downstream is – Three or four hundred different grinds. Yeah, you know, twelve different ways to jump on. You know, there's there's illusion spin. There's regular fakie spin. There's switch fakie spin. Uh, you know, there's hurricane. There's outspin. Like it, it just goes on and on and on. And when you permutate out, how many things that can be done? And then if you count switch ups, then you're talking about a basically limitless set of of, of options where. The complexity is just, you know, the, the, the to think of complexity as a kind of chaos. It's just, it's just exploded. Where um, the kinds of things that cause order, like a, a central authority, like Daily Bread, uh, or like Four in a Row, or VG, or one of those, uh, as soon as you lose those central authority figures, there's nothing left to cause order. It's it's going to be everyone thinking for him or herself what makes sense or not. You know, so if something's useful, we're going to keep using it. If it's not, then it's just going to get thrown away.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. I reckon we've got, we've got, I've got about 20 minutes left, man, before I need to make a move. Mm. So let's, let's pick it. Let's see if we can at least go for one more and we'll see if we can do two. Uh, Anything more on Blake? Well, anything you particularly, we haven't covered that you really wanted to make sure we do this time around?
1: Um, well, so I think, okay, yeah, so I do. And I, I haven't given you a heads up on this, but I think that you're the perfect person to talk about this with. Uh, and that is that as men in Western culture get older, um, we, we don't tend to do a good job of keeping our, our mates, Yeah. you know, yeah. and you know, you get, you get the, the odd, like, you know, 60 year old men sitting around the pub having a pint. And they've been sitting there at the same pub with the same three guys every night for the last 40 years. I think that you maybe get that in Australia. You get that here. You definitely get that in England and in Wales, for instance. Um, But something that I think is really, really valuable about what's going on um, is, number one, this kind of um, re-coalescence of people back to rollerblading, uh, where I think a lot of us kind of like look at our dads and think, "Oh boy, I don't want to turn out like that. I don't want to be a guy with no friends who just sits here and hassles my mom all the time." You know what I mean? Yeah. Um and I think a really important part of that is is being comfortable enough with ourselves and with our friends to be able to tell people how much they mean to us, you know? Yeah. Particularly men telling other men. Yeah. Like Listen, Mikey, I think that you're really smart, and I think that you're a really fun guy to talk to. Like, we don't say this to each other very often, but we need to because it's important to maintaining these friendships. And I think that too many people are probably too scared to take on the topic, but I don't think that you will, so I'd like to hear what you have to say.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you came at that through that article as well, didn't you, about how we, we have a kind of uh, a move to do that a little, you know, when we're not drunk. <laughs> Can say I love you, man, because we're drunk. Yep. Uh, we use this this family language as one way to do that and hide behind in a way um, to do it. Yeah, I had a really interesting case of that where there was a friend of mine who I was just kind of getting to know as a mate through parent, uh through kids, and whatever else. And they posted something about male depression and and and, and male friendship and, and and the lack of that. Um, and and, and i an denied, and I went, yeah, like I click with this bloke and. Um, uh, but how do you like ask a, another man that you know a little out on a date to be friends? Almost, it felt really weird. and I just went, but you know, if someone's posting something on Facebook like that, they're obviously saying it resonates with them personally. Um, all the same feelings of almost like you know, back in high school, you ask a girl out, and what if she says no? How awkward. Um, but I just did, I did message him. And I just said, hey man, look, I saw you post that, and I just thought, well, you know, like you know, if you ever want to grab beer sometime, let's let's do it. Um, and, and uh, you know, had great, and we, we still regularly do it, actually, catch up and talk about all, you know, life and, and marriage and struggles and frustrations and whatever else. Um, yeah. At the end of the, the night, he said, yeah, you know, he just said, yeah, I just don't do this much and, and, and you know, really appreciate it. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely a thing that um, uh, that men have unique challenges with doing and doing well, and I think men do need to realise that, that it's um it's something we have to proactively do for our well-being in a way that uh at least uh there's maybe there's something to do with that combination of social factors and different kind of cocktail of testosterone or whatever else that mean men will be either working or looking after their family uh, or trying to safeguard their place in a hierarchy, so they need to. Whereas, whereas women often, in some of the more standard patterns of life, will be interdependent and interwoven and intergenerational in some ways that that, that comes a little easier. That yet men uh-huh. need to go. Yeah, you, we need to proactively do this. And then when we are in those relationships, we need to be really careful that they don't become merely functional and task focused. That you need to say. Hang on, at the end, we we do build relationships more naturally in a task-focused setting like skating or in the shed or at the sport field, but in that context where that intimacy is fostered, we need to then also realise still verbal expression or physical expression is a part of that where we need to just take that extra bit of time, uh, yeah, to, to build that relationship into an extra dimension. And one version of that may not be verbal, but it may be the embrace that doesn't quickly... Pat to break the tension too quickly. Even do you know what I mean? To just yeah. go, um, uh, you're you're a friend. You really are a friend. This is not just a mates padding, padding, matesy, matesy mates. But it actually is, um, like you are. You know that, you know that this is a source of comfort to have a have a male friend who I can be physically close with, and that's good.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, th- I think so. You said something in there that that really to me hit the nail on the head, which is um uh recognizing it like you you said that there's there's a um oh how did you say it um a kind of um well recognizing that kind of a friendship as a kind of intimacy yeah uh and 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 a kind of a, a meta recognition that that's what this is that like we have a, a a spiritual bond or a deep bond or you know you like as a human being you want to feel like other people understand you and you know we all go on podcasts and talk about rollerblading, and it's nice when somebody says, oh yeah, I know what that's like when you're doing a front side on the handy, and you're just waving that arm or flexing your hips back and forth like you're humping the air, and we've all been there, and we all understand that, and we feel a kindredness about that. There's um, uh, some Bible expressions, I think I said this to you on Facebook in one
0: of the discussions there, that uh, two Bible expressions come to mind, that in that contrast friendship to other intimacies. You know, there's one that describes, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, King David's relationship with, um, with a man named Jonathan as he loved him uh, as a man loves a woman or more than a man loves a woman. You know, and that's not mm-hmm. in any way intended to be homoerotic, but to describe the intensity of affinity and loyalty and devotion, you know, to say what's another area like that well romantic and, and erotic love is really intimate. You know. Um you know, people have compared, you know, religious experience to erotic stuff, not to say they're having sex with God, but again to say, what's a really powerful close intimacy? Well, sexual intimacy. So also spiritual. Right. Yeah, and, and another one is like that. Is there's a there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother? I think is in the the ancient Hebrew proverbs that uh, mm-hmm. again, like yeah, brothers are close, brothers are loyal, brothers are there through thick and thin, brothers are there even when they give each other, the, you know, irritate each other. Um, and there are friends that are even greater than that, you know. And and so yeah. yeah, that that naming that and going yeah, there's 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 yeah, there's an intimacy there that is as deep as, as a woman you love or a man that you love, you know, as deep as a, uh, as, as a family member. So also friends can be like
1: that. Right. Yeah. But, but I think to to even tie it into rollerblading to say that we invent these terms, right. There was no need for hurricane as a kind of a spin to exist when VG two came out because no one could do that, you know? And so I think that, uh, Language, language is always – and this this is – as a linguist, I say this rather with a chip on my shoulder, which is to say that I have to always recognize that language is subject to culture, not the other way around. Mm. So part of you you creating an Australian uh, or even a Tasmanian identity for yourself yeah. is by using language in a certain way. But it's, it's not that – it's that that's who you are and so that that's what you do rather than – you just say these magic words, and that will make you a Tasmanian or an Australian or or yep. an Englishman or whatever um, and so what, what what I think the 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 one of the problems that's really obvious to me is that as we try to get each other and uh, get ourselves to think about these things, we find a tremendous lack of vocabulary where we're left with it's like the love you feel for a woman it's like a brother, but there's no vocabulary that just says what it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that speaks to the deficiency that we're up against where, you know, my my dad, who's never going to listen to this podcast, so I'll just come out and say it, 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 it's just heartbreaking to me. He he meets, so they bought their house, they moved, I don't know, a couple, of few years ago and bought a new house in a different city. Uh, and he doesn't have any friends. And so he goes out for a coffee once a month with their realtor, like the guy who sold them the house. And it's just, yeah. it's like, oh, like you can't, they're not even going out for a beer. They're like, I don't even know what the hell they talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're friends. Maybe they're friends. That, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not such a bad deal. Maybe they got along really well and they think that they're both interesting and they're interested in each other, you know, and so on. But, like, it's just so obvious to me that we've got such a deficiency and we know that because there's no language that supports it.
0: Yeah, I mean, is 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 there is it possible to have um have something that that a lot of the language is um, analogical? Is is that necessarily does that necessarily mean there's a deficiency? Um, uh, that that it may for some be deficient, or it may say that because there's something sufficiently free and un. Um, uh, you know, so so friendship is not a contractual arrangement in the same way that marriage is, and it's not a biological relationship in the same way that family is, or, or legal, you know, in the case of adoption. Um, and so uh, that there is a there is a, a diversity and a you know a, a variation there that means our language about it. Can't be quite as precise, but does draw in analogies, and that that isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean it's Ill, you know an illegitimate thing.
1: So I I agree with that, and I think that I think that even even just using the word friend is a step in the right direction. Yeah, um, because there there is a kind of a vagueness about it, uh, and I think that that's that's okay. What, what bothers me, I think, is. People who avoid almost saying the word friend because there's too much fear. And I don't know how things are in Australia, but I think Mm. that there's a lot of tension in men in the United States where, you know, you can't be seen as soft, you can't be seen as gay, you can't be seen as any number of other things. Uh, And it's, and the, the thing that I was saying in that article isn't to, you know, try to shout down anybody who, you know, went to war and they feel like these guys who they were in war with are their brothers. Like I, that's not, that's not who I'm talking about. That what I'm talking about is saying that someone is, is your brother. Like, Oh yeah. know yeah, Me and him are brothers, man. We have not known that guy since we were 16 years old. And I almost feel like if you just look someone straight in the eye and said, Oh yeah, that guy, that guy's, that guy's my, my really good friend. Yeah. You know, like that would do it. But people are too scared to say that because I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, maybe yeah, it's yeah. a homophobic thing, or maybe yeah. it's something else. I don't know. So I think that the the general, like you're saying, could be adequate, but I also think that if we if we were to explore it a whole lot more, the same way that we explored rollerblading and and, and uncovered a whole lot more. You know, rollerblading existed for five years before anybody did topside, and there's a whole world of topsides to do out there. Yeah, uh, and so the language I think will will get more precise when there's a need for it to get more precise.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think it's um, it's I mean, another aspect. You know, like you mentioned the homophobic side, and then on the other side, I think there's um, uh, there's a kind of a, a, When all relationship is sexualized, you know, which you could say is another strange current going through kind of culture and so on, where where everything immediately is read to have a sexual dimension and, you know, whether that's a kind of heritage of some of Freud's insights or whatever, that we sort of sexualize everything. And maybe that's another side of it as well, is in almost, yeah, to recapture the fact that it's possible to have intimacy that's not, not therefore sexualized. It's not there right. for kind of uh uh every drive is not necessarily a cryptosexual one, you know, that, that it's possible to have other um you know, other possible loves that, that don't have to be interpreted that way. So part of it's just recapturing yeah.
1: that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah um, but but I think just just straight up like telling your friends that you like them because they're smart and they're fun to be around. Like that's yeah. that's really easy to do. And <laughs> that same thing that you're talking about where You know, you get, you get, you know, butterflies in the stomach, for lack of a better term, Uh, to ask a a, a bloke to come and have a beer with you. You know, like, it shouldn't be scary. You walk up to somebody and say, hey, man, I think that you're super cool. You want to drink a beer? And he's like, oh, I'm busy. How about Thursday? And you say, yeah, Thursday. Perfect. And that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and, And then the problem which leads to the issues that we as a sex have in terms of mental health is that if we can't do that when it's positive and go, man, you make me laugh, you're a good mate, I really appreciate your friendship, I'm proud of what you've done, all that kind of stuff, then when yeah. things are dark, then we, we can't say that either and we can't say, man, I, I really need a friend right now, um, Yeah. You know, I really need someone to tell me things are okay. Suddenly, we can't mm-hmm. do that and we'd rather die than do that. That's yeah. That's pretty awful, right? Or we'd rather go and, and, and you know express that, you know, sublimate that through violence and and go and go and fight and, and, and get it all out in some other really you know toxic way, rather right. than yeah, just actually yeah. say to a male friend, "I'm really sad and lonely right now, and I need someone, you know, to to be there for me with me." Yeah. Keep me company. Could you please keep me company? Because I'm just feeling really dark. You know, we need to be able to do that. And it's maybe easier to do that when you're needy. If you express those positive feelings when when you're not so fragile.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like almost like a, you know, not not to make a capitalist metaphor, but like it's a kind of a piggy bank where you pay in so that you know you can get it back out and when you need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe that's a helpful way to think about it. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But maybe for some people it is. It probably isn't for me, but I don't know. I kind of, I, I guess, I kind of act that way, so maybe I do think that.
0: Yeah. So I mean, that there's there's a thing out there for listeners is in whatever way works within your sort of culture and stuff. Make sure you actually express to the the friends in your life, including the male friends in your life, uh, that you appreciate their friendship. That's uh, that's definitely a good, a good touchdown point for people to do. Hey. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Man, I appreciate your friendship, and I admire you, and I'm really amazed that it's gone from being you, someone I listened to another podcast, to us being able to enjoy this uh, a global friendship for the cause of rollerblading. It means a lot.
1: Yeah, me too. Absolutely, right back at you, sir. Take care, and we'll chat again soon. Okay, take care, Mikey. you, man. Mad Beef
0: Rollerblading Podcast is produced by Mikey Lynch. Theme music by Edifice Architect. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher and get in touch with us on our Facebook page. Mad Beef is supported by Skater HQ. You can find them online at skaterhq.com.au. We're also supported by our growing number of Patreon patrons. To support the podcast, find us on Patreon. Even just $2 a month, every little bit helps.